so. And, and uh, we went shopping together, and my one responsibility for that day on our shopping trip together was to find a Christmas gift for my dad. And so I was looking and contemplating and thinking, and, and uh, I finally saw something that I thought for sure he'd like. I figured it was something he'd probably need. It was a car. And I thought, he needs his car. Actually, it was a hot rod. I remember the engine was sticking out of the hood. It had awesome rims and great tires. And, and I thought, surely this is a gift any dad could use. And, and uh, from a five-year-old's perspective, what made that car so unique was it was just the perfect size. You could put it in your pocket, okay? It was a Hot Wheel car. That's what I thought my dad needed. And I shared with my mom, Mom, I've got it, the perfect gift. Everybody needs one of these. And uh, she explained to me that my dad really didn't, didn't care to have a Hot Wheel. He'd reached a stage in life where that no longer was really very important to him, and I was so sad to hear that. That's a sad place to arrive in life when you, when you no longer are interested in Hot Wheels and, and the joy they can bring to your life. And, and uh, so we began to talk about what dad really needed, and I guess he needed that year what he got most every year. That was socks, right? That's what we got for dad at Christmas in my house. Dad got socks. You know, when you love somebody, you want to give them gifts. When you care about somebody, you, you want to express that love to them. And Christmas is a great time of, of giving, of course, receiving as well. But sometimes it's tough to know exactly what to get people. And uh, I, I know we've all had those times where we've searched and searched looking for the right gift for the right person. Uh, I know as our girls started getting a little bit older, they, they figured out they could write list, and that was their idea of a subtle hint for their old man. You know, they'd write down what they wanted, and, and so now I don't stress as much about knowing what they want. I stress now about how to pay for it. That's how that works, and, and over the years, we've gone from, you know, what do you want? I want a Hello Kitty notebook, and now they want a MacBook. That's, that's the progression, all right, and, and the, the, the pricing of it all is escalating, and that brings a different stress uh, with it. Uh, I want you to understand... Giving requires thought as well as commitment of some kind. And gifts do not have to be expensive. But they always will involve a sacrifice. That's what really adds the value in a gift. As we approach this season together, we're getting ready to finish off this November and enter into the month of December. And as we think of giving, especially the great gift we find in Jesus Christ, I, I want to just pose a question to our church family this morning. I wonder what Jesus would like for Christmas. You know, it's his birthday. He's the reason for the season. I want us just to think today, what would Jesus like from you and from me for Christmas this year? And the fact of the matter is, like my daughters, he actually took the time to write it down for us. We don't have to wonder. He didn't leave anything to guess. He tells us in his word exactly what he would like to receive from us for his birthday, for, for Christmas, and uh, I think we could be encouraged and helped through this particular study. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're able this morning, to join me in standing as we read the text together, Micah chapter 6, Micah chapter 6, and uh, we're picking this up right in the middle of a story, and I'll do my best in our study to kind of bring you up to speed and acquaint you with what's happening here, but, but I want us just to read a few verses together, Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. And the Bible says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, I'm going to read on, but I want to point out a couple things. We're dealing with an offering, a gift to the Lord, and, and the list we just read, it got more expensive with each item mentioned, and that's important. 
And then we also noticed in the end of, of uh, verse 7 that the reason for the offering was because of a transgression, and then it also uses the word sin. And so that's what's happening here. We'll look at that more in a moment. And we'll, we'll read on in verse 8. The Bible says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, in the midst of verse 8, we find a, a statement, more of a question. The Bible says, what doth the Lord require of thee? And then the verse essentially goes on to answer that question. So we'll turn that around today and just consider this statement. What the Lord requires of thee. And I want us to think on that together. And as I pray today, asking the Lord to help me to be an effective communicator of truth, a teacher of the Bible, I, I hope that you'll be praying, entering into that prayer, saying, Lord, help all of us. I often like to point out that you all aren't the audience here today. Uh, just as our music teams don't perform, I'm not performing either. My desire isn't to win your approval. I want to do all things that I may be approved of, of the Lord. And so he's the audience today. And I pray that as he's looking in, he'll find a guy up here doing his very best, and he'll find folks out there doing their very best, and together, uh, I think we can please him and grow in the process. So let's ask him for his help today. Our Father, thank you for the privilege we have of, of learning and growing, of studying, and I, I pray, God, on this Sunday in particular, that you'll allow this thought to shape the way we go through this season. I pray that you'd be pleased in it all. Help us, we pray, Lord, for truly we need your help. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some of my best memories in life have come from Christmas mornings. And I know you'd probably think that those memories come from when you're a child and you get the gift you've just always wanted, you know. But I've got to tell you, my favorite memories of Christmas morning come from the times when I've had the opportunity to give gifts to my children and, and to see the joy on their faces. Most Christmas mornings in our house start before you're fully conscious. You hear the pitter-patter of feet there, you know. And if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You hear the pitter-patter of feet and it stops at the end of your bed. But that's not because they stopped. That's because they're airborne at that moment, okay? And uh, they've launched and they're flying towards you. And your day starts with them landing right on you. And ordinarily, that'd be a horrible way to start a day. But on Christmas, that's a perfect way to start a day. The kids are fired up. They're excited. They're overjoyed. They can't wait. And they're saying, come on, let's go. Let's get out there, you know. And, and uh, you say, look, get out of the room. We'll be out there in a minute. And you get up and get ready. And, and you make your way into the kitchen and you make some coffee because that's, that's another great way to start a day, okay, with some coffee. And, and you get the cup of coffee. And in our house, we then always go to the couch and get out the Bible. And we've made a habit of reading the Christmas story. Now, uh, I know a couple things about that. One, I know that our kids will remember we tried to emphasize Jesus Christ on his birthday and we read the story. I also know that my children will not remember a word uh, that I read on Christmas Day as I read the Christmas story, all right? They're kind of humoring the old man. Hurry up, Dad, get this over with. They're looking at their presents. They got everything on their mind. And, and uh, then we get done with that and, and we dig right into the presents and, and to watch the kids, man, just absolutely go bonkers as they're open up presents. It's, it's the greatest thing in the world. Now, I know that everything Jesus says is true, but I love the way the Bible says in Acts 20 and 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. And man, isn't that the case? I'm so grateful for those gifts I received as a young person, but the greater memories in my life have come from being able to give to others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I've just loved hearing the girls over the years say, you know, I've always wanted one of those, and mom and dad, thanks so much, and, and you can just tell how excited they are. 
Now, today, I can't tell you I'm a great Christian. I can tell you I love the Lord, and I want to do well in my life and with my life for the Lord. I, I can't tell you I'm a great Christian. I can't tell you I'm a great anything. But I love Jesus because He first loved me. And I want to live a life that's, that's pleasing to Him. I want to honor Him with my life. And I love the thought of giving to Him in such a way that He could tangibly see the love that I have for Him. I love the thought of giving to Him in such a way that He would be pleased. Giving expresses love. The Bible in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8 says this, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul there was talking about an offering and he said, listen, I'm not commanding you guys to give in this offering, but I'm telling you there's some other people in a tough situation and I'd encourage you to give. And as you do so, you're proving through your giving the sincerity of your love. Living a life that gives to the Lord is a great way to let him see your love. So we have a text before us here. In Micah 6, the people of God had totally blown it. They'd done just about everything bad you could possibly do. They'd walked away from a closeness with God. At one time, they were uh, really close with God, we might say, and then they drifted and they had transgressed, our text says. They sinned, they walked away from God, and and things were not good. And so the prophet prophet Micah arrives, and he's kind of one of the uh, little bit lesser known characters in Scripture. In fact, you might have had to peel those pages in your Bible apart there in, in the book of Micah. You know, we don't often travel through the book of Micah. But Micah was a great prophet. He knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. And he gave messages from God to the people. And, and Micah was a contemporary with, with other prophets named Amos and uh, Hosea. He was also a contemporary with a well-known prophet by the name of Isaiah. And, and Micah lived a great life for the Lord. And the life of a prophet is not always an easy life because normally when he showed up, it was to bring a sermon that told everybody, hey, you're heading the wrong direction. And that was the case here. Micah shows up, the people had been going the wrong direction, and he brings what we might call a sermon. But this sermon that he brought, it looked a whole lot more like a court case. And we see a plaintiff, and we see a defendant. And the case is being presented on behalf of God, that he's a good God, and a kind God, and he loves his people. And he's done everything for them. And in spite of his goodness, they turned their back on him and walked away. The people of God now are the defendant. And as the case is being made, and, and as the prophet here, kind of like an attorney, is, is laying the case in their heart, they're thinking, he's right. God is good. And he is kind. And he is gracious. And, and he's right. We have. We've, we've walked away from him. These people saw clearly from the testimony of the prophet that he was right and they were wrong. I want you to know today that every message of truth is not met with an honest heart that wants to make things right. Every time a prophet, so to speak, shares truth with others, it's not always received with a heart that's ready to receive. It's not always a welcomed message, but I'm glad to tell you in this case, as the prophet shared the truth, it was well received. The people understood he's right. They understood his assessment was spot on. They knew that something needed to be done. They were committed to making a change in their lives. They weren't just kind of passively saying, yeah, let's go ahead and make a change. They they said, no, things have absolutely got to change. We've done wrong. We need to make it right. And and so they, they come to the conclusion what needs to happen is a gift needs to be given to God. This sounds like a great idea. 
So they get together, they work on this, and, and as all this unfolds, we get back to our text. And, and as we look to the text, we begin by seeing, first of all, the decision. What was their decision? Their decision was to honor God. All year long as a church, we've come back to this theme of living unto His glory, of doing what we do in this life so that it may reflect well on the Lord. That's the decision these people made. They said, you know something? Mike is right. And we, we need to change some things so we can live unto his glory. Our text says this, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Now listen, they had a real understanding of the greatness and goodness of God and they longed to come before him in a spirit of worship. I love the fact that the Bible includes that they use the word bow. They said, we're going to come into the presence of God and we're going to bow. Now, let me tell you something that I know. I know that every person who's ever lived, that is living, who's yet to be born and one day will live, every person of all time one day will bow before God the Son, Jesus Christ. I know there are God deniers. I know there are God rejecters. But the reality is the day is coming when everyone will bow before Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Jesus, we know, on that day will take the glory that is due Him. But here's the joy for us in this day. We get to give it. Now, He's going to take it in due time. But at this point in our lives, we, as we honor Him and glorify Him, that can be a gift to Him. Jesus was born a couple thousand years ago. That was not his beginning. He's always been. But he took on flesh that first Christmas morning. He came as the Lamb of God. He was meek and he was lowly and he was humble. We know that when he was offended, he didn't respond with offense. We know that he was a God that was gentle all the way to the death of the cross. He came as, as the Lamb of God. But friends, you need to know one day Jesus Christ is coming back not as a meek and a lowly lamb. He's coming back as the triumphant, righteous judge. He's coming back as the lion. And at that time, he will require of us that we give him the glory that is due his name. But we're blessed in this moment. Not because it's compulsory, but to voluntarily give our praise to him. As as a dad, I've had my children obey me in a couple of different ways, okay? How many of your dads this morning? A few of you? You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Moms will as well, but I, I've had times where I've had my kids uh, respond well. I've asked them, hey, I want you to do this, and they say, all right, and they do it. It's always a blessing when it works that way, but in our house, it doesn't always work that way, okay? And so sometimes I'll say, hey, I need you to do this, and uh, they won't do it. They'll ignore me. They'll put it off, procrastinate, and, and uh, they won't get around to it. And when that happens in our house, I care too much for my kids to let them get away with blowing off authority in their lives, just going their own way, because I know that'll get them in trouble every time. You, you don't want to raise an irresponsible kid, because in time they become irresponsible adults, and then the whole thing goes to pot. And so when they blow off their dad, here's what I do. I turn it up just a little. Don't want to lose my mind, okay? If you're angry, it's never good. And so I don't want to ever lose my temper, but sometimes I just show it to them a little bit. I don't lose it, okay? But turn the volume up just just a smidge, just a little bit. And the tone changes. How many of you are aware that fathers have another tone they can go to? And kids, it's like a silent whistle for dogs. When that tone comes on, kids just, you know, something's happening. Dad's saying something. 
And, uh, and then I, I can begin to crack the proverbial whip. Not the literal whip, but the proverbial whip. How many of you know proverbial whips? Okay, you know those? All right. So sometimes I'll say, hey, kids, I need you to do this. And they do it. And they obey. And that's great. Other times I say, kids, hey, I need you to do this. And they don't do it. And so I've got to really get into the role of dad and change the tone and crack the proverbial whip. And then they do what I want them to do. I want you to know it's always better in our household when they do what I ask them to do the right way the first time. Now, in the end, they're going to do what I want. Again, I care too much for them as my children to let them do whatever they want to do. That would get them in big trouble in life. They're going to do what I want them to do one way or another. It just always blesses my heart when they agree the first time with the right spirit. And so this decision was made. But as the text goes on, we find a discussion. Once the decision to honor the Lord had been made, they begin to talk. And the issue at hand was this. How do we best honor God? They wanted to give him a gift, but they're wondering now, what does he want? What can we give for God? I mean, he has everything, right? What kind of a gift could we give to God that would express our heart, that would let him know where we're at? So they begin to think. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Oh, that's a great idea. God loves burnt offerings. That's, they were really thinking now. This is good. Come on, we're just spitballing. We're just working here. What ideas do you got? How about a burnt offering? Great thought. God loves burnt offerings. We know this about God. And so they say, well, how's that? But uh, then they go on. Uh, How about a calf of a year old? Great idea. That's the perfect year. Uh, That's the perfect time in the life of a calf. That's a great, I I mean, burnt offerings, that's a good idea. But but a calf of a year old, I mean, that's even better and nicer. Okay? The value is increasing. And so they got to tossing that idea around. and, And then the thought is, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? You guys, the ideas are just coming. The brilliance in this room is amazing, you know? I mean, burnt offerings, that was good. One calf, better. A thousand rams? You kidding me? You guys are on to something. This is great. It's getting bigger. It's getting more costly. How about 10,000 of rivers of oil? I mean, what do you get the person who has everything? How about, how about you know, rivers of oil? This is good. And the value is expanding. And, and it goes on and on. But it's obvious with the ever-growing expense associated with each gift that what they were trying to do as we read the text, they realized that they had transgressed or sinned before God. And that was a big thing. And they're over here on this side thinking, you know, what can we give God to get out of this trouble? We have to give a gift that is at least as big as our transgression or bigger. We've got to dig ourselves out of that hole. And so they're thinking, let's come up with the most expensive, costly, extravagant gift we can come up with, kind of buy God off, you know, to kind of get him back on our good side. If it's bigger than our transgression, then he'll owe us one. And you kind of see this rationale as they're talking and as they're discussing one author I like to read said of this passage. Note, those that are thoroughly convinced of sin and the malignity of it and of their misery and danger by reason of it, would give all the world if they had it for peace and pardon. And these people are trying to give all the world, so to speak, so they can have peace and pardon because they've done wrong. Friends, listen to me. God has never required or requested a gift from you that would somehow erase a debt of sin. That's not a motivation to give God anything. That's not how God works. That's not how God functions. 
You see, sin is a debt that can't be paid with any gift of any size. And our giving to God is never to try to pay him off or to pay a debt. I think of the Christmas story. That's what it's all about. We had a debt we couldn't pay. God loved us so much. He saw us in our need and he said, I'll come to you. I'll meet that need. I'll pay a debt I don't have, God says, because you've got a debt that you can't pay. I'm a God of love. And so because of his gift of salvation by way of his grace, we can enter into a relationship with God. The Bible in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us that it's by grace that we're saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, when I was trying to buy a gift for my dad for Christmas, I wasn't trying to do something that would somehow let me get in our family. That had already been taken care of. When I was born, I was born into a family. Uh, my last name is Chapel. I was born into the Chapel family. And as I've given gifts over the years to my dad, never one time was that gift so that somehow I would be so good and so giving and so generous that dad would say, finally, you've done enough. Now you're in the family. Nope, that's not why you give. That was a settled issue. And we don't come to God with our offerings, hoping somehow to get him on our good side, to get him impressed with who we are and what we've done. So the discussions continue, but Micah steps in and he lets them know that God wants a different type of gift. Uh, maybe their heart was right, but they're way off base. And, and, and he, under, he understands and shares with them that God wants us to live as obedient children who reflect his image in our lives and, and in our world. That pleases him and that helps others. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a series of messages through the end of the year. And we're going to be starting our new series, Hope for the Broken World. Let me tell you about the world we're living in. It's broken. It's a mess. I don't care what news outlet you watch. You're going to hear of storms. You're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear of rumors of wars. You're going to hear of earthquakes and pestilences and famine. And everything the Bible tells us is going to be ratcheted up another degree as we make our way to the end times. That's what it's all headed towards. We, we know we live in a broken world. And let me tell you the hope of the broken world his name is jesus christ but there's another hope of the broken world it's called the christian who's yielded himself to jesus christ so that jesus through him can live in such a way that jesus could use us to touch the lives of those in need of his help micah helps these people understand listen god's not trying to get a gift from you because he's broke He's not trying to put you in a situation where you're giving to buy yourself out of a situation. Nope, that's not what it's about at all. There's a different type of, of giving in mind. And that leads us to this, this final thought, which is the distinction. You see, Micah served these people by sharing the will of God with them. Uh, he outlines here specific gifts that God wants from everyone who claims to be his child. Friend, please hear me. If you're a believer today, if you're a Christian and you know that in your heart, these are gifts, Micah shares with us, these are gifts that we can give to the Lord this year, not just for Christmas, although that might be a great time for a recommitment. I'm talking about gifts that don't cost money, that come from our hearts. And if you know anything about fathers, that's the kind of gifts they like anyhow. You know, I've received gifts over the years from my daughters that uh, really have no monetary value. A picture they've drawn, a note they've written, uh, homemade coupons for a back rub or something, you know. And, and you, you think I look at those when I get them and go, this has no monetary value. Throw it away. To the trash it goes. Absolutely not. I've kept all of those. I've got a file for all those little notes over the years and, and, and those Christmas things. Uh, I, I want you to know, if you were to think I would disregard something like that because it's not worth monetary value, you don't understand my view of economics. In my world, those little pieces of paper are worth more than a million dollars. They mean a lot to me because they came from the heart of a child. It's similar with God the Father. 
It's the heart from which the gift comes. He loves gifts that come through our hearts and from our lives. Let's think of the gifts mentioned in verse 8. We have to wonder, what doth the Lord require of thee? Well, here's the first one. Do justly. Do justly. It's interesting to me as I was looking at that and studying that word. Of course, it speaks of justice. The root word of justice is the same root word from which we get our word righteous. The idea is to be fair, to be equitable with people. That's the idea, to do justly. Um, As I thought on that word, I was really struck with the fact that although we talk a lot about justice today, it's an elusive term. I mean, the idea of fairness, it's really hard to wrap my mind around. I was watching a news show the other day, and they had two people on the news show. And uh, one guy said, you know, it's about time that people of, of wealth do their fair share. And he was basing his, his case on the thought of fairness. They need to do their fair share. Well, the guy on this side over here said, you know, almost half of all Americans pay zero federal income tax. They're not doing any share. And I don't think that's fair. And this guy had a completely different view than that guy based on his idea of justice and fairness and equality. This guy had a completely different view than that guy based on fairness and equality and justice. And here were two people. I don't know anything about them. Probably reasonably nice people. I'm sure they were Ivy League educated. They probably had trained in in economics. They they both were very sincere in their opinions. Uh, Which one was right? I'll tell you after the service for a quarter if you want to know which one. But it doesn't matter. The point I'm making is this. Here were two people I'm sure reasonably reasonably sincere people, and they had totally different premises in life, and both of them would have said, my basis is what's just, and they missed it. How can I know what's just in my life? The idea of receiving from God this message of to do justly means this. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. (laughs) I'm going to handle it his way. When various issues come up in my life, I'm going to say, you know something? If the basis of this is righteousness, if I'm going to do what God wants me to do, I need to consider what God has to say. I think of the Christmas story. I'm reminded of Joseph. Listen to the Bible's introduction of Joseph. Matthew 1, 18 and 19, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to read on, but before they were intimate, before they came together, she had a child. This would have been problematic for Joseph. This, this would have been an issue, okay? So he's thinking now, well, what am I going to do here? That could have been punishable by death. What am I going to do here? The Bible says, then Joseph, her husband, what's the first thing God the Spirit tells us about Joseph? Being a just man. Now, the Bible goes on to say he wasn't willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away private, privately or privately. But I love the thought that Joseph was a just man. And God thought that was so important. That was the first attribute he wanted us to learn about him. That was his nature. He wanted to do the right thing, not his human nature, as he yielded to God. He wanted to do the right thing from a right heart. God is saying this, treat others right. I want you to deal with others as I deal with you. This theme continues as we look to the next point. Look in verse 8, the Bible says, do justly. What's the next thought? Love mercy. Love mercy. You know, justice sometimes can be very harsh. It can be very harsh. And this idea of loving mercy kind of really keeps things balanced out. When you add this thought of mercy, it's good. Mercy is withholding wrath or punishment. 
And I want you to know today, our God is a merciful God. And if we love God, we'll love mercy. The Bible in 2 Chronicles 6 verse 14 says this, Ah, and said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like thee in heaven, nor in the earth, which keep his covenant and show us mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. I just love that. God, there's no God like you. The, the other gods that people talk about, we know there's only one true God, but the other gods, they're angry gods. Uh, they're, they're, they're vengeance-filled gods. They're, they're wrathful gods. They're merciless. But God, you're filled with mercy. I want you to know that a gift we can give to God this year. How's this? Mend a coral. That's a gift we can give to God this year. We can mend the coral. We, we, we can dismiss suspicion. That's something good. That's something that those that love mercy would do. We can give something away anonymously. It's a good thing. We can forgive someone who's treated us wrong or turn away wrath with a soft answer or visit someone in a nursing home or apologize if we were wrong. We can be especially kind to someone with whom we work. We can give as God gave to us in Christ without obligation, without announcement, without reservation, and without hypocrisy. You see, our relationship with others is connected to our relationship with God and vice versa. Look, here's the thing. If I'm not being merciful to you, I can't in good conscience walk into the presence of God and act like everything's just fine. Because God's told me, listen, do, do justly and love mercy. There's a connection to all of this. And God says, uh, let, me, let me give you a little insight as to what it is I'd like for Christmas, so to speak. Why don't you be a merciful person as I've been to you? Now, I'm not talking about letting things go that need to be dealt with. But I am talking about a heart of love that has the ability to bury the hatchet. I think of Peter's words in 1 Peter 4, 8. He said, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. That's what the Bible says. Think of this. One of the great gifts we can give God is to give up a quarrel with another person. And then the final thought in this verse, verse 8, is to walk humbly with thy God. Walk humbly with thy God. So I was thinking about this. I went in my mind back to those many times I'd go to visit my granddad in Colorado. And I've told you a lot of stories about my granddad and a lot of stories about the dirt road they uh, lived at the end of. I think even last week I mentioned something about that. But as I'd go to visit them, you know, I'd get on that dirt road and they could see the dust cloud long before I would arrive, you know at the end of the road, way out in the country. And so a lot of times, if a car was coming that way, it was really for no other reason. They were out there to see them. And so my granddad would kind of see the dust cloud and, and get out there. And, and when I'd arrive, I mean, literally, I'd step out of my truck and, and he'd say, hey, honey. And he called me honey. He wasn't a touchy-feely guy. He was just a tough, tough, gritty guy, you know. Um, but he forgot my name a lot, I think, you know, so it's just easier. It's kind of like saying brother at church or dude at the beach. Or, you know, it was like, hey, honey, he had a lot of grandkids. And my grandmother said I was his favorite one. She's told me that a few times. But, uh, he, you know, he had a lot on his mind. He couldn't remember everybody's name. So, hey, honey, he would say this to me. Let's go for a walk. All right. Let's go for a walk, you know. So I just get there. Granddad's out there waiting on me because he saw the dust cloud. And, and we walk over in his great big shed. And a lot of you guys have been there with me over the years. It means a lot for me to be able to share these, these things with you. You know, when you love stuff, you want to share it with people you care about. And 
We'd go to the shed, and he'd show me the new fish finder on his boat. But the thing is, it wasn't new. It'd been on there for years. He just, he just wanted to show it to me, you know? And, and then we walked next door, and there was a chicken coop, and he'd want to talk about that. And then we walked to the orchard behind, and he'd pick some, some uh, unripened fruit, and we'd talk a little about that. You know, those walks with Granddad had nothing to do with the fact that he wanted some exercise. He likes me. And he just kind of wanted to take a walk with me, spend some time with me, uh, talk. He wanted to hear about the trip. He wanted to tell me what was going on in, in, in his life. Friends, good news. God wants to walk with you. He wants to spend time talking with you. He wants to tell you what's on his heart. He wants to know what's going on in, in, in your life. We often think the best thing about being a Christian is the fact that when we die, we get to go to heaven. We have a misunderstanding of what eternal life is all about. We think when we live this life and it's done, when my race has been run, when my ticket's been punched, then I'll have eternal life. Let me tell you something today. If you're here and there's no doubt in your mind that you are a Christian, you've been born again, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, eternal life for you does not start the day you die physically. It starts the day you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Life is not about a journey you take so that one day you can enter into the presence of God. Life is a journey you make with God and as wonderful as heaven will be, the day you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your life and you can enjoy His presence every step of the way as you walk with Him humbly. Now, the key in this is walking in humility. And it's hard to teach about humility. Let me tell you guys how to be humble, you know. <laughs> Take it from me. It's one of those things that's kind of hard to talk about. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's not humility. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's a life that has a proper estimation of self and sees the value of others. As one author said, ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must tear down every single day. And all of us have an ego. We all have the capacity to try and put up a big charade of who it is we want others to think we are. And humility says, no, I'd rather walk in honesty. When we think of humility, we really need to look no further than the story of Christmas. Where we find the God of the universe coming to meet our need. The God of heaven left the realms of glory to be born not in a hospital, not in a palace, not in a home of wealth, in a stable. I mean, he didn't have to come. And at that, he could have come and just lived in absolute extravagant wealth. But he came the most common way possible. Talking about humility. Humility. Philippians 2 and verse 8 tells us this of Jesus. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Bible tells us Jesus humbled himself. How many of you have noticed in life as I have, it's always better to humble yourself than to have someone else humble you? He willingly robed himself in humility. And this thought breaks my heart because when I don't make time to walk with God in my life, please hear this. I'm expressing arrogance to a God who came to me in great humility. God says, let me, let me help you here. I, I want you to walk humbly. Walk humbly. When I walk humbly with God, I'll automatically be humble with others. I'll treat others as God treated me. And the reality of this is that we cannot possibly be just and merciful if we're not humble before the Lord. 
keeping it real with him. It's unfathomable to me that we can give a gift to God, the God of the universe, that would please him. I'm telling you, your life has the capacity to please God. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 16 said this, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So the girls would give the gift. Dad, do you like it? And the answer is yes. Because it came from you, I like it. It came from your heart, I like it. God is very much pleased with the life that from its heart lives for Him. As we finish out November and get right in the middle of it all, I just want to ask you, what are you giving to Jesus for Christmas? You say, well, he's, he's a tough one to shop for. And I'd say, you know what? I talked with him. I found the note he wrote. I know exactly what he wants from all of us this year. That this is what... He wants. He wants us to, to do justly and to love mercy and, and to walk in humility with Him. That's what He wants. Where, where are you at in all this today? I wonder, would you all be so kind as to join me in standing? I want us to think of what we've heard today. And Here's what I believe about this passage of Scripture. I don't think there's one of us here today, honestly who could consider what we've studied today and come to the conclusion, yeah, I don't need any of this. I don't know there are any of us here today who say, you know, I'm doing it just all the time, justly, all the time. Maybe you really bear down on justice and your mercy begins to go down a little bit. So you think, well, I want to work on mercy. And you get your mercy right back up where it needs to be. And then you start feeling proud because you, you've done justly and you're loving mercy. And then your humility dropped down. And, and a lot of times in life, we're working on areas and, and we're all a work in progress. I'm certainly not accusing anybody here today, but I don't mind being honest with you and letting you know uh, this message is something that I need in my life. I need, I need to be reminded of a, of a God that's a great God who loves us. And as the people in Micah's day, there are times in my life where I become more distant from Him than others. And I need to be reminded of the value of drawing close to Him, of enjoying life, not just when I die physically and know I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a believer, but enjoying the journey of life each step of the way with Him. And God says, I, I don't want you to be left to wonder. Here's what I want. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk in humility. But before we can give a gift like that to God, we have to have first received a gift from God. We have no capacity to give until God first gives to us. We understand we can love Him because He first loved us. And, and the gift we have to receive from God before we can ever begin a life that, that gives back to Him, expressing love, is, is the gift of salvation, of eternal life. Knowing for a certainty if we were to die today. Listen to me. If you breathe your last breath today, the certainty that you would spend eternity in heaven with Him. Do you know that? And the Bible's written to tell us we can know that. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over, you can know. The Apostle Paul said he was convinced, he was persuaded. So many verses in God's Word tell us this, we can know. And maybe you're here today and in your heart you're thinking, you know what, I'm just not certain. Like to know, mostly sure, totally unsure, but you'd say, I, I'm not absolutely certain. Here's the message for you today. God loves you. Would you receive His gift already? His gift of eternal life.